Hey everybody, this is Neil Payne, host of the Lab 538's NBA podcast, and every so often we're going to bring you content that's recorded from outside the podcast studio. What a novel concept, where we talk to insiders from throughout the NBA, and in this particular case, our own Chris Herring sat down with Rich Cho, the GM of the Charlotte Hornets, and they talked about the Hornets' upcoming season, Dwight Howard's free throw shooting, and Rich's food blog. Take it away, Chris and Rich. Rich, how are you doing? How's your summer been? Doing well, doing well. Uh, thanks for having me on. Yeah, I had a great summer and excited for the season to come up. You recently started a blog, which I think kind of blends two things that you're really passionate about. Obviously, the scouting side and evaluation side, but the thing that makes it unusual and kind of cool is the idea that you've also started ranking different meals that you, you have and kind of evaluating meals to kind of take in your food passion. And so, can you tell me a little bit about that and what the impetus behind Big Time Bites is and was? Yeah, the site is uh, bigtimebites.com and, and uh, the Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook are, are at Big Time Bites. And, and uh, you know, years ago when I started traveling a lot more with my job, I'd ask friends and family and coworkers for food recommendations in different cities. And and so I'd compile a list and, and uh, write it down in a notebook. And uh, then when I visited those cities, I made it a point to, to try those recommendations. And I'd also, I also like, you know, talking to strangers when I'm in different <laughs> cities at different restaurants and the hotels. So I'd compile my own list, too, uh, that I'd get from locals. And so after a while, people started asking me for recommendations in different cities. And uh, I'd go through my notebook and give it to them. You know, and I like all different types of cuisines and, and also, also love uh, everything from hole-in-the-walls to fine dining and everything in between. So wound up getting quite a big list. And and, uh, and one day I thought, you know what, Let me, uh, it'd be nice to kind of have this all compiled into some sort of uh, blog and so I started an Instagram as a as a starter, and and I got some positive feedback about that. And uh, then I decided to start this uh, food website and, and Big Time Bites. So um, we just started a couple months ago, and um, it's been getting a lot of positive feedback, and uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun. So I'm gonna I'm gonna switch gears a little bit, and may come back to some of the food stuff in a while. I, I want to talk about your team. I, I I think you guys are interesting. I, I didn't really – I looked at what you guys did last year. I didn't feel like you guys were that far off from being a playoff team. You obviously have been a playoff team the year before, 48-34 um, and 34 in 2016. I think you were one of four teams that had the same record for tied for third in the East at the time. Finished 36-46 and 46 last year. But when you kind of parsed that more closely, you guys were 0-9 in games that were decided by three points or fewer – uh, you guys were the only team in the league that didn't have a win in, in that scenario. And so when you really look at that team and kind of how close you were in some of those games, what did you feel like you needed to change? Obviously, Dwight Howard was, was the biggest name you brought in this summer. What about his game did you feel like you needed most to kind of address what went wrong last year? What do you feel went wrong last year? Yeah, I, I don't think we were that far away last year. Uh, we had a number of injuries the injury to Cody Zeller really hurt a lot on both ends of the floor. We were th- he missed 20 games. We were, th- we were uh, three and 17 without Cody, and like you said, we lost a lot of close games that could have gone either way. 
one thing that uh, hurt us last year compared to the year before was our bench. And uh, so entering the offseason, there were a number of things we wanted to address. But uh, uh, one was our bench to improve our bench play. Two was um, to uh, get a rim protector and shot blocker and some more physicality on the front line. And, uh, and then three was to improve our overall depth. So uh, we feel like adding Dwight Howard really uh, addressed the uh, rim protection, shot blocking, and physicality. And uh, at the same time, it improved our overall depth. Uh, he and Cody, Cody Zeller, as a, a one-two punch uh, at the five spot, um, give us a nice combination there. And then uh, as far as our bench play, feel like we were able to address that too with uh, drafting Malik Monk with the 11th pick in the draft. Uh, we're really excited about him. Uh, he's going to give us a lot of uh, bench scoring and, and shooting off the bench. And then we also um, signed Michael Carter-Williams as our backup point guard and Julian Stone as our third point guard. So uh, we're excited about those guys as well. Uh, in the second round, we drafted uh, with the 40th pick, Dwayne Bacon out of Florida State. And uh, we're excited about his potential as well. When you look at Dwight specifically, uh, you knew our, you and I were talking about this a little bit earlier. Have you? Can you recall anybody where just the perception changed so much in such a short amount of time? A guy that's still very productive, I, I think regardless of how you feel about him personally, still really productive uh, from year to year with what he does. Um, but we look at him averaging a double-double. A lot of people look at that as almost a failure for some reason because of what they want him to do or what they expect him to do. Why do you feel like the perception is what it is with him? And, and obviously you guys weren't deterred by it, but why do you feel like the perception on him has changed so much over the last couple of years? You know, he had a couple down years, and uh, I think, um, you know, he's he's ready for to, to change that perception, and, and he's really excited to be here. Uh, one thing that uh, Coach Clifford, uh, our head coach does uh, along with his staff is get the most out of each and every player and and he coached uh, Dwight in Orlando and in LA and, right. and so uh, we're confident that coach coach will get the best out of Dwight and uh, we're excited to have him here uh, he's going to help us on both ends of the floor uh, and I, I know Dwight's excited to be here and uh, I feel like we have a good mix of uh, veterans and young guys and um, I think it's going to be a fun year. So one thing, and I'll let this go very quickly because it's not terribly important, but one thing I'm always curious about with, with players, I, I kind of feel like when people come back from the off season, it, there's al- almost like a show and tell. Uh, I know when I covered the Knicks for years, people would constantly ask Carmelo, what did you add to your game this summer? There's always that question. Um, and I feel like there's always an eagerness with the players to be able to say that they added something. Dwight this summer, I think he was on the jump with Rachel Nichols, and he said, you know, I've been working on my three this summer. I've been working on my three ball. And said it with a straight face. They're like, is that something you're trying to do? He's like, yeah, that's the sort of thing that adds longevity onto a career. Do you, maybe not you personally, I guess you're not coaching, but what what, what is your thought on, I guess, specifically Dwight potentially taking threes, but also just in general, guys that kind of work on something that maybe not might not be part of their core competency. Um, how do you feel about that, and what do you feel like is kind of the limitation on that in terms of someone trying to get better at something that ideally probably would be part of their game, but probably won't be. 
Well, I mean, I think it's always good for guys to improve on their weaknesses and, and things of that sort. But, you know, at the same time, I think Dwight's got to improve his free throw shooting before yeah. he work, before improves his uh, three-point shot. And, you know, I think I don't think that's that's uh, any any mystery. And uh, I don't know how many threes he'll take here, <laughs> if, if any, but, uh, you know, that's up to... To, to coach Clifford to, to put him in the right situation and um, and uh, and I know he'll um, he, he will do that but yeah I, I think Dwight uh, <laughs> Dwight uh, I didn't see the interview but I, I heard about it but yeah y- you know I I think Dwight's going to help us on both ends of the floor I, I do too I, I think he's still got something left uh, you got to figure out what how much that is but the things that he's good at you to some extent you really can't teach. You can't teach someone to protect the rim the way he's done it in the past. And so he'll, I think he'll really help you guys if he, if he can stay healthy. So getting on to someone that has been here for a while, Kemba Walker made an all-star team for the first time last year. I think he averaged 23 a game, shot 40% from three. I, I wrote a piece on him last year. He actually was the most accurate player in the league from three-point range when there was someone standing within two feet of him. Uh, he's really good at kind of hugging screens as he's coming um, you know, especially when Zeller is screening for him and guys can't catch up with him without bumping into him and fouling him from three. So he he had such a great season last year. He's really been on the up and up for the last couple of years now. How much more can he realistically improve, do you think? He obviously works very hard. Uh, he's gotten much, much better as a jump shooter. Yeah, I think uh, I, I think there's definitely room for improvement still. You know he's 27 years old now. He's in the prime of his career, and with his work ethic, I think there's definitely uh, some opportunity for growth there. You know he shot uh, 40% roughly from the three-point range last year, and one thing I told him in in his exit interview was, you know, one of the challenges for you is to keep it at that level or higher uh, next year because. Uh, um, you don't want to be a one-hit wonder from from the three-point range, and and he he got that, and and I know he's he worked very hard this past summer, and I'm looking for um, even more growth from him this year. You you look at this core, and I I think sometimes people can forget this because you guys have a lot of continuity in some ways. You, this is your seventh year on this job, I think, and so when you really look at you and, and Clifford has been here for a while now. And obviously the the owner that people know well enough at this point, you guys have a decent amount of continuity, and I think sometimes teams that stay the same can kind of get forgotten about at times. But you've got Kemba there. You've got Nick Batum, who's been here for a few years now. Michael Kidd-Gilchrist, you've got Zeller. You've got a decent core here. What I'm curious about, and I've had this question about a couple teams. I think the one that I've really got my eye on now is Memphis. Especially if Kemba does continue to improve, he's kind of your franchise guy. How, when you're a middle of the pack team, you guys have been right in the middle for the last few years, and you're a smaller market team, and you've got a player that is going to command a pretty big payday. How do you how do you make that work? You obviously want to keep that player here. It might be tougher to draw people to this market. How do you do that, but not strangle the progression of the team when you've got a 
when you've got to make a big commitment to a player. Because that's, that's something that I think is becoming tougher and tougher now as the league has these max contracts, especially with these super maxes now. You saw teams run away from the idea of paying someone that they weren't sure if this could really be a franchise guy. Is that a challenge for, for kind of mid-market, smaller market teams? Well, I, I think that's definitely a challenge for every team, um, you know, especially the the mid mid and small market teams, uh, you know, and a lot of teams, uh, and we're no different. You know, they're not going to pay the luxury tax. Yep. Um, so, I think it's it's definitely a challenge in, in that regard. But uh, with respect to your question about continuity, and you know, you're 100 percent right. One of the things that we've tried to do is uh, maintain some semblance of continuity with uh, Kemba and, and Nick Batum, uh, Michael Kidd, Gilchrist. Uh, Marvin Williams and uh, and Cody, uh, uh, when we um, we had uh, nine free agents the previous year, we um, you know we were able to re-sign Nick Batum and uh, re-sign Marvin Williams, and um, and then last last fall we uh, did an extension with Cody Zeller, so um, uh, that's definitely that was definitely part of the plan because if you see uh, you look around the league and you see a lot of the successful teams like Golden State, San Antonio, um, you know one thing they have in common is to maintain some uh, semblance of continuity. Um, but as far as uh, signing guys and and trying to keep them, uh, uh, you know, anytime you make a transaction, whether it's a uh, um, uh, free agent, a trade, or through the draft, uh, you're looking at a you know sh- the short term and long term effect of of that transaction. So uh, it takes a lot of sh- both short term and long term planning to make sure uh, that you know things things stay um, below the tax and, and uh, so so you can uh, keep building your team. How I, I guess I don't think you guys ran into this this summer, but you, you obviously had the pretty high-profile effort to go get Gordon Hayward a few years ago. How stressful is that as a GM, waiting, kind of that waiting game? Teams, I, I can't remember a team ever being challenged on, uh, on a restricted free agency situation and then them immediately saying, here, we're going to pay it right now. I, I've never seen a team do that. I feel like the team always takes a full three days to respond. You know, How stressful is that when you're, you've kind of got your money hung up for a little bit but you also potentially could reshape your team if you're able to get a guy. And you generally, it seems like, almost always have to overpay to try to get a restricted free agent to try to stop the other team from playing ball in that situation. So how stressful is that? What is that like to be in that process? I mean, it wasn't really that stressful uh, a few years ago when we signed uh, Gordon to that offer sheet. Uh you know, I, I think we were looking at it uh, uh, positively because uh, we saw it as a big positive that uh, someone of Gordon's stature and playing ability would would sign in Charlotte, and, hmm. and I think that that says a lot to you know the growth here in Charlotte and and how it's maybe become a destination because uh, Al Jefferson had signed here a few years ago, and we had Gordon sign, uh, and then even though it didn't work out. Uh, Lance Stevenson signed sure. uh, as a free agent, uh, even though it didn't work out. And then a couple of years ago, we had Jeremy Lin sign as a free agent. So, so I think it's becoming uh, a, a, you know a spot that uh, some free agents will like. But uh, as far as uh, Gordon and uh, how stressful it was, 
You know, we had a we had a pretty good idea that because of how good Gordon is, that Utah would match, and okay. and we felt like it, it was you know if if he, if they did wind up matching, then um, it was a positive that he signed with us, and uh, you know he's turned out to be obviously you know we offered him the max on the offer sheet and he's turned out to be uh good as advertised he, he's turned out to be a great player and uh uh unfortunately he signed in uh in the east coast <laughs> eastern conference now in one so. of the few players yeah. that did <laughs> but uh uh you, you know he, he's a great player great person we met his family when when he was here and great sure. family so wish him the best of luck in uh, boston what what do you think? I guess while we're on that subject, what do you think of kind of the way this shook out? It's probably somewhat cyclical in terms of East West right now, but it, it, there really was kind of a drain of talent in the East. And on some level, looking at where you guys are at and trying to get back to the playoffs, that probably isn't the worst thing when you maintain some continuity and then bring in a player like Dwight. Do you feel like that kind of helps your situation? But also just in general, what did you feel about the summer and how how much talent did go west? Well, I was really happy for a lot of, that a lot of players went west. Personally, <laughs> keep going west, uh, and uh, you know, the, I think those things go in cycles, though. Uh, and uh, who knows? Maybe next year, um, some of those players have options, and, and uh, they'll come east. So. Sure. Uh, those things tend to go in cycles. So uh, luckily for this year, a lot of guys are out west, and uh, you know, hopefully by the trade deadline, there'll be more guys going out west. <laughs> do you feel like? I, I guess I've never asked this before. Do you feel like the, the the fact that the West has been a bit stronger than the East for a while now? Do, do you feel like it's just mostly based in the fact that most of these guys were drafted by Western Conference teams? Obviously, not the guys that just moved conferences, but. You look in the Hardens and obviously Westbrook and Durant and Steph and all those guys with Golden State, that they're starting there and then maybe it's harder to pull them out of what they're used to or even the part of the country that they're from. What what would you really, like you said, cyclical, but to some extent the West has been a bit stronger than the East now for a good at least 10, 12 years, probably longer than that when you really think about it, going back to maybe when the owner here was in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, I think that's definitely a big part of it. Um you, you know, those a lot of those guys have been drafted by those teams, and and then because of restrictive free agency, it, it's hard to get them out of those situations. Sure. So, uh, yeah, I definitely think that's a big part of it. But um, yeah, it goes in cycles, so so you never know. It'll come back. You guys are going to have the more competitive conference pretty soon, I'm sure. Staying on that topic a little bit, you obviously work for a pretty famous person with a pretty famous person. And I'm just curious, I'm sure you're asked this a decent amount, but what is it like to work with or work for Michael Jordan? And to some extent, I imagine it's got to be a pretty cool thing to be able to say. But at the same time, I imagine it has to be different because whereas a lot of owners are totally detached from what is happening or don't want to know a whole lot about what is happening, I know a lot of Nick fans that would love for their owner to never know what's happening – this is someone who played in the league that's as expert as someone can really be about just the ins and outs of what it's like to be a player. Um, and so because I'm sure he has pretty firm opinions on what he thinks or what he's seeing and how he feels like that might translate on the court. So just in general, on a personal level, what's it like to work with Michael Jordan, but also from a work standpoint, um, how is it having him as a boss since he obviously has a lot of experience playing? 
Yeah, um, no, it's great working for for MJ. Uh, he's, uh, y- you know, first of all, he's really smart. He's very savvy. I-, I think he's got a great sense of humor. At the same time, he's very uh, driven and competitive, and uh, so he he's been great to work for. And uh, you know, because he's been an executive, also, I think he realizes how hard this job can be at times and, and uh, hmm. you know how hard it is to make a deal sometimes uh, the different nuances and, and um, uh, things involved in, in a contract negotiation um, he, you know just just he's aware of a lot of different things that uh, maybe a lot of owners aren't which is helpful it's really easy to forget now I mean it's been a little bit of time obviously but it's really easy to forget that he was an executive, obviously, in Washington and had some, some rough years there and obviously played some years there as well. But it, that is interesting. I, I guess I hadn't thought about the idea that he's, to some extent, been in your shoes. Not the exact same thing, not the exact same title, but to some extent he's kind of been in your shoes. Does does he – I guess there's not really a, a easy way to ask this question. How, how much input does he want or do you feel like he's wanted at times given that, like I said, he's – He's obviously got a different kind of experience and background than any other owner in the league, probably the the greatest player of all time. Is it easy to have basketball conversations with him? Is it tough because he's going to have opinions that might – obviously he has the, end, the say at the end of the day. How does that work between you guys, and what are those conversations like? No, they're, they're good conversations. One thing that I, I really love about him is he loves a healthy debate. So um, – you know, I'll definitely give him my viewpoint on things, and, and you know, he he loves healthy debate among our staff, among our scouts, uh, front office. So no, he's great that way, and uh, that's uh, that's one of the things that makes it uh, um, great to, for him to work for him. Did you when when you interviewed for the job here? Did you go about that pretty much the same way that you did with Portland, where it was very number intensive and and kind of walking them through? the different things you'd looked at and how things would work in, in that way. I, I wonder, I, I guess we we don't hear from Michael a whole lot, and so whether the idea, analytics, obviously you're kind of an analytical-minded person, whether that is something that really resonates with him or if he's kind of more of an eye test person. I remember that Wright Thompson piece that was written about Michael a couple of years ago where he was referencing how his game differed from LeBron's and kind of if LeBron – dribbles the ball while he's driving to his left side that he's more likely to pull up for a jumper. But if he goes to his right side, he's more likely to get to the basket because of numbers that he'd looked at. What what really connects with him in terms of the conversations you have? Is it an eye test? Is it numbers that you might know of that he didn't know about? Is it both? Uh, you know, I don't know if it's necessarily numbers or, or, or uh, things of that sort that, that – um when I interviewed that I uh, pointed out it was it's more um, you know one thing I'm really big on is process and uh, just having a um, uh, defined process to, uh, and a way of doing things that makes sense because uh, at the end of the day the, the goal is to make the, the you know the best decisions you can with all the information you have and uh, you know, I have an eyes, ears, and numbers approach. Uh, the eyes is uh, your live scouting and your video scouting. Ears is uh, you know, what are you hearing about this player? 
um, whether it's a dr- potential draftee or someone we're trading for or a free agent. You know, what what is what is the, what's the intel on this guy? Uh, is he a leader? Is he a follower? Does he have any off-court issues? Um, what's his family life like? Uh, is he a hard worker? So well, I'm really big on intel here and trying to gather as much information as possible so we can make uh, a, a sound decision. And then the, what do the numbers show? Um, uh, you know, is he a good only uh, against poor opponents? Hmm. Uh, you know, and and is he how consistent is he, um, and things like that. So, he, you know, it's it's more uh, the overall approach and and uh, uh, have having a good process for uh, making decisions. Your your mom got a chance to meet him as well, didn't she? And what was her reaction to to meeting Michael for the first time? Yeah, well. My brothers, two of my brothers and my mom came out for a game in, um, this was the uh, lockout season. So in 2011? Yeah, 2011, oh. and the lockout uh, had just ended, and um, so they came up for a game, and uh, after the game, we were in my office, and I was just grabbing my backpack to uh, pack up and and uh, head out to the car, so had my door open and uh uh MJ walks by and uh, he comes comes into the my office and and I said um this is Patrick this is Andrew and then and this is my mom and so uh they all shook hands and he was very gracious he, he you know he he talked to him for uh, a few minutes and and um then he left and and uh my mom uh my mom's this little you know, seventy-nine-year-old lady, <laughs> uh, Burmese lady, and can't hurt a fly. And um, uh, she says, uh, "Who was that guy?" <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, uh, because she honestly, she yeah. truly did not know who she was. Now, she obviously she knows the name Michael Jordan, but. But I, I I forgot when I introduced her. I didn't say, "Mom, this is Michael Jordan." <laughs> you know, I just said I said to MJ, and I didn't say his name. I said I said this is this is Patrick. <laughs> this is Andrew. This is my mom. <laughs> I just assumed my mom, you know, put a, put a name to a face. Sure. But, uh, so <laughs> anyway, that was just kind of funny. My brothers and I were just rolling on the floor laughing after that. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> You know, it's funny you mentioned I had next-door neighbors when I was a little kid and grew up right outside of Chicago in the suburbs, and I had next-door neighbors that they moved from Curacao to Illinois, and, you know, I talked so much about sports. We would play basketball with them all the time, and, you know, they asked me finally, like, who is Michael Jordan? And, like, I didn't – it's one of those questions where you don't know how to answer that as a kid. Like, how do you start explaining – who that is, especially when you're living basically in Chicago. But a good reminder that, you know, the world is kind of bigger than that. One thing I'm curious about with, I guess, kind of specific to him, but not really, it's so easy to look, especially now, you know, just as the rules are changing with the lottery and the way that those odds are going to shake out for the top three teams. Before, it would have been really easy to just say, look, look, if you're not going to win a title and you're not realistically going to be in conversation for a title – and you're not going to be you know, a top team in your conference. It just makes more sense to lose. 
it would be easy to say that to most teams. You were here um, in 2011. The lockout season, I think, was 7-59. and 59. Uh, I'm sure people here remember that pretty well. It's probably not a fond memory. But it, I can imagine that there's no rush to get back to anything like that, even though you guys are in the middle, which a lot of people will say the middle is kind of the worst place to be because you don't get a chance, especially in a smaller market, to really get a top player. Uh, but at the same time, you don't want to be – you'd like to be at the very top, but it's pretty hard to just kind of leap up the standings like that. So how do you get – I guess that would be my last question for you. How do you kind of get right out of the middle? Is there a way to do that realistically, or do you just kind of hope things work out? Well, I think it's going to take a little bit of luck, you, 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 you know, uh, number one. And uh, number two, uh, it's going to take incremental – it's, you got to grow incrementally. So, one transaction here, one trade here, uh, but you also have to grow from within. And, and you know, player development is a big part of our uh, um, program here. And, and uh, you've kind of seen it with Kemba uh, uh, getting better each year. Um, you know, Cody Zeller's uh, gotten better each year here. Uh, we're hoping Frank Kaminsky and Jeremy Lamb take a big step this year. And um, uh, so it's kind of all, all of those things combined. Well, I definitely wish you guys luck in, in getting there. Um, like I said, I like the core of this team. I, I think that there's real talent there and guys that have played together for a while, and I think that kind of gets overlooked. I look at a team like Milwaukee right now, and you know the idea. I think they might have brought back the most returning players from last year's team, and I, I do think there's real value in that, especially when you have a bunch of games that you lost I think 0-6 in overtime last year you guys were something like that. So um, it probably wouldn't take much to get back into the playoffs, but I definitely wish you guys luck with that. And thank you so much for taking the time with me to talk with me, to take me out to lunch and and have one of these Big Time Bites. Please check out his site if you get a chance, bigtimebites.com I think it is. And it allows you to to leave a review. So so take a look at that. But thank you, Rich, so much. And, And best of luck to you this year. I'm sure I'll see you later over the course of the season. Yeah, thanks a lot. Thanks for having me on.